Well, good evening. Oh, I'm sorry, Judy, you're on the phone. You want me to hold on for a minute? <laughs> just tease. <laughs> I, I could have waited. I just didn't see you were on the phone. <laughs> you're going to send somebody out to get me, aren't you? Yeah. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. A uh, couple of things that uh, I want to share with you. Some of you I know will be interested in this. Is uh, I heard from Dave Dillard today. His mom's been in the hospital and uh, has not been doing well. But uh, let me just read you what he sent me. He says, mom's making small but steady improvement. MRI was negative, so they ruled out most of the serious issues. Uh, she had a new UTI that's getting better, so they think that maybe the issue is related to being dehydrated, and then that led to an infection, and it increased her blood pressure and just became a domino effect. And uh, she's had a good night's sleep, first one in four nights, and she looked more rested, and they said today that she may go to Dr. Sixth Floor Rehab by noon tomorrow, so she's awake and alert, doesn't seem to have any memory issues, so those were all good reports, and and uh, he didn't ask me to share that with you. I just took the liberty to. So you can continue to pray for his mom. And then we got some news around here today that kind of shook us. Some of you may. We used to have a, a young kid on maintenance. He's about six foot plus, kind of a little on the lanky side. Sweetest guy ever. His name was Josh Harden. I don't know if you know him. And, and uh, he took another job. I don't know how long ago. It's not been that long ago. But we got word today that he was killed in South Carolina as a pedestrian, uh, and uh, it's just kind of rocked us a little bit, and so uh, just lift his family up in prayer, if you would, also, so we're glad you're here, now that I've given you all the bad news, now I'm going to say, hey, we're so glad you're here. Um, we finished our series on uh, how to live for, rather than just with your spouse, we finished that last time, and uh, right before Thanksgiving, yeah, right before Thanksgiving. So that series is done, but you know us around here, we are so busy and our schedules are so packed and we're jamming so many things in that sometimes there's these spaces in between series that just need, we need to plug something in there. And so tonight's kind of one of those things, we're in between series, and so what I've created is a kind of an ongoing intermittent series called Ways to Build a Better Life. And so when we're in between a series and, and we need a few nights to talk about something, then we will go and talk about ways to build a better life. We've done a couple of those in the past, actually. Make sure my uh, thing works here. There we go. We've done a couple of these before. We've talked about uh, how to over... You, uh, one way to build a better life is to overcome being overwhelmed. You know, so if you can learn to overcome being overwhelmed, you can build a better life. Another one was to be more resilient which is easier said than done. So those are two that we've talked about before, and tonight we're going to look at another way to build a better life. And uh, you have probably seen, those are the two we've talked about, you've probably seen something like this happen. You've got two kids who are working on a drawing or something, and, and, and they're, they're really, really into it. They're staying in the lines, they're choosing the right colors, they're just focused. And then out of the blue... One of them will reach over and scribble on the other one's paper. Seen that? Yeah. Yeah. And then all you know what breaks loose. 
and there's anger, and there's yelling, and there's tears, and, and there's an attempt to get back at the other one and scribble on their paper, and all of this, and it usually ends up with that piece of artwork being crumpled up and thrown away. Okay, you've seen that picture, right? Well, tonight we're going to look at how to make something from the scribbles in your life. Because life has a way of scribbling on your artwork. I don't know if you know that or not. Uh, but it does have a way of scribbling on your artwork. It looks something like this. You put all of those years into your degree, only to have that degree devalued, and you find yourself working in an area that's not in your training and your education. That's life scribbling on your artwork. Or you've always dreamed of a happily ever after marriage, only to find out that your spouse leaves and makes your life unbearable. That's life scribbling on your artwork. Or you're finally able to get the dream home only to have it burned down in electrical fire. That's a big scribble on your artwork. Another thing, you're excited to finally be getting that long-desired promotion only to have it given to someone else at the last minute. It's life scribbling on your artwork. Or you're just a couple of years from retirement, the stock market takes a dive, you lose a bunch of your retirement funds, and now you've got to work longer. Life, scribbling on your artwork. Or you finally reach retirement, now you can start that life of travel you've always dreamed of, only to find out you've been diagnosed with cancer. It's life, scribbling on your artwork. Can you think of other ways that life can scribble on your artwork? Hey, Grant. Can you do me a favor? Can you kill the fluorescence? Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Didn't mean to call you into service all at once, but thanks. Uh, yeah, they're on that wall somewhere. <laughs> One of those switches. Just, just start flipping switches. Yeah, turn the cans on and turn the fluorescence off, if you would. Ah, there, you're on the, you're on the right track. Just make sure the cans are on, or we'll all be in the dark. This guy can do it. Thank you. It doesn't seem like a big deal to you, but this fluorescence are glaring in my glasses like it's an old person complaint. But Thank you very much, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, give him a hand. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Think, tell me, what are some other ways that life will scribble on your artwork? Come on, you've got it. I've seen you nodding your heads at some of the examples. You know what this is. Car accidents. Yes. Yes, I'll say something about this in a minute, but when I was in grad school, when I was in seminary, we decided it was about as cheap for us to buy a house as it was to rent some places. So we closed on a brand new house and 20 minutes later totaled out our car. It was a big scribble on the artwork, huh? Car accidents, good one. Someone else? Weather? Weather? Yeah, explain. Yeah, that's kind of the way the weather is now, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You think you've dressed for success, so to speak, and you haven't. Uh, someone else? Pardon? Tragedy out. Tragedy of any kind will scribble on your artwork. Any, <laughs> this is a bad example, but any of you had an oops baby? 
<laughs> yeah, some of us were oops babies, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes that seems like a scribble, at least in the beginning. Works its way out, but yeah. Can you think of any others? And now you're all stuck on the oops baby thing, aren't you? <laughs> Show of hands, how many of you feel that there has been times in your life where something, someone, life itself scribbled on your artwork? Okay, big, big bunch of us, yeah. That is a function of life. One of my favorite stories in Scripture is the story about Joseph in the Old Testament. And uh, you can find that story, uh, where is it, where's it start? Chapter... I can't remember. It goes all the way through the end. But look for the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. And that's a succession of scribbles on the artwork. You know, Joseph grows up and his father loves him and he's favored and everything's going great. And his father gives him this code of honor and everything's doing well. But his brothers hate him. And so they throw him in a well. Actually, they were going to kill him. And one young entrepreneur in the group said, hey, we can make some money off of this guy. And so they throw him in a well, and then they sell him as a slave. There's some scribble on your artwork. He winds up in Egypt, sold as a slave to Potiphar. And so Joseph goes to work, and he's a good worker, and he's honorable, and he takes care of things. And Potiphar puts him in charge of his whole household. Things are going well again. Yes, ma'am. Genesis 37, 39 through 35, 45. Okay. And then you find him at the very last chapter, too. Thank you very much. Read the story of Joseph. Because anytime you feel like life has just scribbled on your artwork, you need to go back and read this guy. Because he gets to Egypt and he's in Potter, he's, he's Potiphar's first hand man, right hand man, and, and everything's going well. And this time it's not brothers, it's Potiphar's wife who takes a liking to him, <laughs> to say it politically correct, in a politically correct way. And she wants him, and Joseph is honorable and won't dishonor his master and keeps saying no and no, and finally he refuses one too many times and makes her mad and she screams rape. And then Joseph winds up in prison, scribbling on his artwork. And so in prison, he does the same thing he did in Potiphar's house. He just goes to work. He's honorable. He's a hard worker. He takes care of things until the warden of the prison kind of puts him in charge of everything. And one night, two prisoners who had been in Pharaoh's court, a cupbearer and a baker, wind up in prison. Pharaoh gets angry with them, throws them in prison. And they have these dreams, and Joseph interprets their dreams. And they're, one of them's really thrilled about the interpretation, one of them's not so thrilled. But Joseph says, hey, look, guys, all I want you to do is, if you ever get back in Pharaoh's court, just remember me, mention my name, bust me out of here. Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll do that, we'll do that. And sure enough, one is reinstated, the other one is beheaded, but one is reinstated. But the guy who gets reinstated to Pharaoh's court forgets about him. And life scribbles on his artwork again. This is the life of Joseph over and over and over. It's one of my favorite stories because unfortunately life will do that. 
I don't care how faithful you are, how closely you're following God, it doesn't make any difference. We live in a fallen world and life is going to scribble on your artwork. And when it happens, you're going to feel hurt, you're going to feel angry, you're going to feel put out, you're going to feel cheated. You may feel like giving up, you may feel like quitting, you may feel like tossing aside hopes and dreams. But when life scribbles on your artwork, it doesn't mean that you're done unless you decide you're going to be done. Life is going to do this. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. So, let me illustrate how this works with a simple little story. Because when life scribbles on your, out, uh, on your artwork, it can be life's over or it can be a stepping stone to something bigger, better, greater. It's going to depend upon you, what you do with it. Uh, let me give you a, a story of how this works. When I was dating my wife, before she was my wife, just to be clear about that, uh, I'd go to her house to pick her up, and a lot of times she wouldn't be ready. And that would leave me stuck with my future mother-in-law, which was not a good deal, I'm just telling you. Just wasn't. We just didn't take a liking to either of each other. You know, She really didn't like me until, oh, maybe about 10 years ago, something like that. Seriously, you think I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. So I'd go to pick her up. My wife would be slow getting ready. I'd be stuck there with my mother-in-law. And so I'd say, hey, let me show you something. And I'd pull out a piece of paper and a pen, and I'd say, I want you to make a scribble on the page. I want you to make a scribble on the page. Oh, I had the text right there. I forgot to get too busy telling stories. So she would make a scribble on the page. And then she would give it back to me. And I would take it, and I would turn it, and I would twist it, and I would look at it, and she would think, I got him. But finally, eventually, I'd see something in it. And then I'd take the pen from her and do that. Uh, and it would infuriate her. She would be frustrated and yank the page back and do another one. Say, there, make something out of this. This game would go on forever. Uh, and the longer we played it, the more frustrated we got, which is probably why I love the game, to, to be honest with you. Uh, little did I know that this little game I was playing with her was teaching me something. Because little did I know that life was going to scribble on my artwork. It was, just incessantly. Had a great job in the oil field and then had an accident and couldn't continue that job. And thought I was going to lose my job. And so that moved me to a different location. So I settled down in the new location. Felt like everything was going great. Making good money, good benefits. And then life scribbles on my artwork again and God says, hey, I think I want you to go to seminary. Which I didn't want to do at all. It was a big scribble for me. But I go. Only, I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing there. And so I get to grad school. I start off in one direction, and it's just not right. 
And here I am, a grown man in my mid-30s, and I'm coming home after class and crying my eyes out on the bed because I've moved my wife and a kindergartner and a second grader to a new place. We don't even have jobs yet, and I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. There's a really big scribble on my artwork. So I, I pursue a direction, and then God says, nope, wrong direction. I want you to go in this direction. Changes my major. I lose like hundred some hours or something. I, just, I mean, I have a, a degree with about three times the number of hours it should have taken. Uh, but I get my degree. I'm settled into Fort Worth. I'm a hospice chaplain, the head chaplain in a division. I'm, I'm liking where I'm at. And then this place called Warren Baptist Church calls me and says, hey, would you be interested I didn't even know where Augusta was. You've heard that story before. Changed my direction. Life was constantly scribbling on my artwork. Buying a house and then totaling a car. I didn't realize that this little game I played with my mother-in-law to get under her skin was going to teach me something. And I think there's some things there for you and I both to learn. It's more than just a game. When life scribbles on your artwork... The thing is not what the scribble is. The thing is, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to make out of it? You know, we're all a bit of a control freak. We all kind of like control. We won't admit it, but we are. And, uh, and yet, sometimes when life scribbles on our artwork, we think, well, I don't have any control. Just, you and I have way more control than we think. So, I want to talk to you today, this evening, about making something from the scribbles in your life. How making something the scribbles from your life, making something useful out of them. So, but first, in the interest of full disclosure, I need to tell you this. The last couple of months in my life have been, yeah, have not been good at all. Another scribble in our life happened. My wife was driving my relatively brand new car and she gets smashed in the back end and shoved into another car. And thank goodness she was all right, relatively underhurt. But it was my new car that I loved a lot. And I bought it when the prices were low and the interest rates were low. And it's not that way anymore. And I couldn't replace it with what I wanted. And what I did replace it with, it's going to cost me another two years. It was just a big scribble on my artwork. And I didn't handle any of that well. I had trouble with my insurance company, lost my temper. My wife has never seen me do that. You know when you're on the phone and your wife's in the background going, calm down, calm down. There's a problem, right? And then I hung up and she said, I've never seen you do that before. And I, was, I just didn't handle the scribble well at all. I'm still not handling it the way I should be. You know, I know, all, I know I'm supposed to be thankful, I know I'm supposed to be grateful, I know, but I just washed out in all of this. So, pardon? Yes. <laughs> yes, she is. And that's one of the ways I've washed out. You know, I've focused more on a car than my wife. Uh, so, this all falls under that kind of do as I say, not as I did message, all right? Because I'm struggling with the same thing a lot of times, but... With that confession out of the way, let me give you some steps to follow when life scribbles on your artwork. And uh, hopefully you'll do better than I've done lately. Okay, Step number one, 
how to make something from the scribbles of your life. One, don't overreact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't have somebody in your life going, calm down, calm down. Don't over. Easier said than done. All of these will be easier said than done. I'm just telling you. Uh, but sometimes my mother-in-law or future mother-in-law would give me, I mean, the longer we played this game, the more intricate the scribbles would be because she was just frustrated. And, uh, and sometimes I would think, oh, no, she's got me. And, and I would have to calm myself down because if I got into a panic, I was, I was going to freeze. Nothing was going to happen. And I'd have to calm myself down and stop thinking, oh, no, I'm sunk. And life can be this way. Something can happen. Life can scribble on your artwork. And sometimes when it does that, it seems big, it seems overwhelming, we overreact. You know? Now, full disclosure, I was a good husband when I pulled up on the wreck scene. She was crying because she'd wrecked my new car, and she didn't do it, but somebody else had wrecked. And I said, you know what? It's just a car. I handled it well in the moment, okay? You know, I'm just glad you're okay. Cars can be replaced. That's why we pay insurance for. But after that was over with, I handled it poorly. I overreacted. And, and that tends to be the first thing. It's okay to react. It's not okay to overreact. Don't blow it out of proportion. This is called awfulizing. Some of you are awfulizers. Something bad happens and it's like, it's awful. Right? You know what I'm talking about? You know? Uh... Somebody turns you down for a job in a job interview, and you go, "I'm never going to get a job ever again." It's awfulizing, you know. Your kid gets written up at school, and oh no, they're going to be a delinquent. I know they are. You know, it's awfulizing. It's really easy to do that when life scribbles on your artwork, but you got to take a deep breath, calm yourself down. We've talked about this before. There's two parts of your brain that drives. Usually, I'm going to simplify this greatly. But there's a little piece about the size of an almond at the top of your brainstem called your amygdala. That's your fire alarm. That's, what, that's a fight or flight or freeze. Something bad, react. And then there's this bigger part of your brain right behind your forehead. It's called the prefrontal cortex. And that's where you organize and you think through things and you're logical and you, you form your words. And you need both of those. But they will not drive at the same time. One or the other is going to drive. And once the amygdala kicks in, all common sense kind of goes out the window. And the only thing you can do is to get yourself calmed down first so you can start thinking the way you're supposed to think. We've talked about this, I think. If, if one of your children comes in the middle of the night and says, there's monsters under my bed, and their heart's racing, and they're wide-eyed, and they're sweating, does it do any good to say, there's no such thing as monsters, and there's no monsters under your bed. Go back to bed. Can't. Their heart's pounding. They can't even think that way. You have to calm them down first. Get them physically calm, and then they can think again. And we're the same way. And so when we overreact, the first thing we have to do is calm ourselves down and tell us something different. Listen to, to what God's Word says. Listen to some of these passages from God's Word. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? These things are talking about sufferings and trials. If you go back further in the passage. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, 
how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's something to tell and retell yourself when life scribbles on your artwork. Or this one. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things in present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, nor car wrecks, nor job layoffs, nor start plugging in there. Anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's some assurance when life scribbles on your artwork. Another one, Matthew 6, 8. Do not be like them, talking about people that worry about what they're going to eat and what they're going to wear and, and where they're going to live and what size of home and we're going to have enough cars and just, again, fill in the blanks. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Your Father knows what you need before you know what you need. And fa your Father knows the difference between what you need and what you want. We can rest in that. One more. Psalm 46.10, be still. That means cease striving. Quit running around. Quit fretting. Quit being frantic. Cease striving and know that I am God. These are the places we go to for rest when life scribbles on our artwork. Is it easy? No. Will you have to practice it? Yes. Keep some of these on three by five cards. Pull them out. You know, you're going to do something. You might as well pull them out and read them. Hear the assurance in these. Hear the rest in these verses. I know our flesh is prone to overreact. I know it is, but there's no need to. We can react. We just don't have to overreact. If you'll notice, Jesus never overreacted. Not once. And if anybody had something to overreact to, he did. He never overreacted to anything. And you may say, well, that's because he knew what was going to happen. I tend to think it's because he knew who was in charge. I would come home when my kids were real little. I would come home from work, and one of them would be standing on the back of the sofa, which is a no-no to start with, okay, across on the other side of the room, and they'd say, Dad, catch me, and they would leap into the air. And I would break my neck trying to get over there to catch them before they got hurt and I got in trouble. Uh, but they did that because they knew who had it. They knew I had them. They knew who was in control. They had no fear. This is who we're to be when life scribbles on our artwork. Take a deep breath. Trust the sovereignty of God. React, but don't overreact. So that's number one. Don't overreact. Number two, again, just as hard. Take your time. Take your time. Once you get a handle on your emotions, then take some time. Look some things over. Think about them. Don't just jump in. Give it a little time. When I, when I got married, we moved to Oklahoma. Got married on a Saturday, Sunday evening. We were in Oklahoma. We started jobs there the next week. And so I started in the oil fields of Oklahoma. And uh, as luck or fate would have it, or God would have it, the first month I worked in the oil fields of Oklahoma, the temperature never got below 100 the whole month. 
and I was laying pipe in the river bottoms. It was brutal. Uh, but, but I'm a newbie, you know, I'm wanting to do stuff, and so we would pull up on a job, and I'm wanting to jump out of the truck and grab the tools and get busy, and I had this old foreman who, when I was with him anyway, I'd jump out, grab tools, he'd go, oh, just wait a minute, just slow down. And he would get out, and he'd look at things, and he'd walk around them. He'd, just when I think he was going to do something, he'd pull out his pipe, load it up, light it up, smoke, maybe tell a story or two. And I'm just, I'm just dying, okay? I'm just saying, let's do this. And, and he just does that until I can't hardly stand it anymore. And he goes, okay, let's get this fixed. But when he did, he knew exactly what needed to be done what order it needed to be done, what tools he needed, what parts he needed, and it went smoothly. I've never forgotten that because he just took his time to look things over and to think things through. And when life scribbles on your artwork, it's really, really hard to do that because we want to fix something. We want to make something go away. We want to change something. You want to jump right in and do something, but but you're better off taking your time when life scribbles on your artwork. No one had more important things to do than Jesus, yet you never see him hurrying, ever. You never see him worrying. You never see him acting quickly. Remember when Lazarus is sick, right? Lazarus, he, Jesus is really close with Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. And Lazarus gets sick, and so Mary and Martha send people to fetch Jesus to heal him. And, and, and we know from other scriptures that Jesus loved Lazarus. He really loved Lazarus. And, uh, but listen to Jesus' response when they come to get him. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. That just seems odd to me. If you told me that someone I loved was ill, I'm jumping in the car and headed to the hospital or wherever. But when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two, longer, two days longer in the place he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. It's a lot like that old foreman of mine that says, hmm, okay, let's just hang out here for a minute. He didn't rush. And you can say, well, he's Jesus, he knows what he's going to do. But you and I are co-heirs with Christ. Scripture tells us that God doesn't withhold anything from us that he wouldn't give to Jesus. And yet we rush. And we have so much trouble taking our time. So, don't overreact. Take your time. This one's a really hard one. Look at things differently. Some of you groaned over that one. Look at things differently. Once you get a handle on your reactions, and then once you slow down and taking your time to look things over, think things through, then it's time to change your mindset. Because chances are the scribble's not going to go away. What gets us in, pro in trouble is something scribbles on our artwork, and we think the scribble's got to go away. We've got to make the scribble go away. And chances are it's not. But as long as you have to make the scribble go away, then you're going to be miserable. So you have to see some things differently. 
Look at this image. What do you see? Bats? Angels? Both. Yeah. It's actually, it's actually one of those illusions. It depends upon what you focus on. Focus on the white, you see the angels. You focus on the black, you see the demons. You see what you're looking for. That is life. We tend to find what we're looking for. Now, that's a, that's a simple little phrase, but think about it. If you're looking for something bad in somebody, you're going to find it. If you're looking for something bad in a situation, you're going to find it. If you're looking for something good in a person or a situation, you will tend to find that too. It all depends upon what you're looking for. And when life scribbles on our artwork, sometimes all we can see is the bad scribble. And we have to change our perspective. We have to look at it differently. Uh, you know, a lot of times when my mother-in-law would scribble on that piece of paper, uh, I would have to look at it for a long time. I would have to turn it, twist it, look at it from different angles. Let's go back to that example I gave you. All the way back. See that image there? Turn it counterclockwise, 90 degrees. That's what that is. But I had to see it from a different direction. Had to see it from a different perspective. And so that's why that's step number three. You have to look at things differently. Get back to where I was. Let's go back. Look at things differently. Uh, when life scribbles on our artwork, it's really easy to get locked into what you see. And it's usually, like I said, the scribble. And it usually is what we didn't want to happen. Think of the Pharisees. Here's a good example of this. The Pharisees had in their mind what the Messiah was supposed to look like. That's why they couldn't accept Jesus. They couldn't see it differently. They had a vision in their head and it has to be this way. And if it's not this way, it's wrong. And so they crucified the Son of God because they couldn't see Messiah differently. That's how easy it is for us. Sometimes the thing, same thing happens to us. We can scrap the artwork because it's not the way we wanted. Or we can begin to look at it differently. You know, what was it? I can't, I'll, I'll mess up this quote, I'll butcher this quote, but isn't it Thomas Edison said he figured out a thousand and some ways not to make a light bulb? Right? So the first 50, I'd have been done, right? But he saw it differently. I figured out how not to do it. Well, this was, this was not the way to do it, right? This is not the way to do it. Some of you have been married. You know this. You've done or said something and backed up and went, well, that's not the way to do this. You've got to look at it differently. How many inventors have set out to invent one thing but wound up inventing something they never planned on because they were able to see something differently? All right? So how many is that? I'll give you two more. Try a new approach. 
try a new approach. When life scribbles on your artwork, it's a great time to try something different. I know some of you are like me. You drive home from work the same way each day. You have the same routine every morning. You have the same routine before you go to bed. You do certain tasks the same way. I get it, and there's something to be said for some of that because you don't have to burn a bunch of brain cells when you have a routine. But some of us are way too much into our routines, and we don't try new approaches. But the unwanted scribbles in your life can force you, or at least invite you, to try a new, a new approach. Uh, you know, I told you about seminary. And I knew God wanted me to go to seminary. And that's a big move. When you uproot a wife and a kindergartner and a second grader and move them to a place where they've never been before, and all we had secured was housing, but we didn't know how we were going to pay for that, that's a big deal. And so, I... I before going, I realized I am not pastor material, right? I'm, I'm just not. And uh, although I'm musical, I don't care anything about Because in my mind, all you have, you're either going to be a pastor, a minister of music, or a minister of education, right? And I didn't want to do any of those. Now, I wasn't thinking very broadly, was I? I was in a box. So I thought, well, I love to teach, so I will just go, and I'll get a Master's of Divinity, and I'll teach at a Bible college somewhere. And so I launched into doing that. And the first semester was great. I had great grades and everything, but it just didn't fit. But in my head, it's got to be one of these three, and I've got to get out of here as quickly as I can so I don't do too much damage to my family, and I have all these priorities and parameters, right? But I knew this wasn't the approach, and so I had to look at something different. And so I'm flipping through the catalog, which seems to be how I chart my educational path any, these days, and... Uh, and I come across counseling, and I thought, well, of everything in the catalog, that's the thing I'm drawn to more than anything, so I take it. Take another semester and use up all my electives and take that. And, uh, but I'm still in agony because I can't mess this up, and I know there's got to be a right decision, and, and I've got to do it right, and, and God won't tell me what he wants, and I'm just, I'm a mess. And, and I'm bugging the head of the department. Like weekly, I'm bugging him. And I think I just frustrated the hound out of him. Because one day, he sat me down in his office. And he said, look, I'm going to tell you something. He said, and this guy was a psycholo Christian psychologist. He'd been a missionary. He'd been a pastor. He was kind of a stodgy old guy. And uh, he said, in all my years, here's what I've come to realize. That my ability, that, that God's ability to keep me on track is greater than my ability to get off. Now, I don't know how theologically correct that is, but that just made me go. And then I was free to try something different, which leads me here. This is why I'm here. But I had to get out of this rigid thing so I could see things differently. And when life scribbles on your artwork, you have to be able to see something different. And that's not just us. Some of the greatest Bible figures ever had to learn this. The Apostle Paul, There's, if anybody's up for super Christian, it's the Apostle Paul, right? Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak a word in Asia. And then they had come to Mysia. They attempted to go into Bithia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. 
and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man from Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go to Macedonia, concluding, wisely, that God had called him to preach the gospel there. Do you get this, though? In this passage, Paul tried to go three different directions. First, this is a guy supposed to know what to do, right? But even super-Christian Paul tried three attempts before he found the right one. And I kind of read in this passage that God just took mercy on him and said, oh, okay, I'll show you, right? Be willing to try new things, to look at things differently, to try new approaches. Even Paul had to try different approaches until he found the way it worked. And you can keep some of your routines. There's nothing wrong with that. But when something scribbles on your artwork, you have to do something. And chances are, doing the same old, same old is not the way. Am I stepping on anybody's toes here? Or are you all free-spirited and I'm the only one that kind of gets lock-stepped in my routine? Right? You can set your clock by me most mornings. But sometimes, I just need a new routine. One of the hardest things when my daughter and her kids came to live with us, one of the hardest things was it wrecked my morning routine. And I thought, this is awful. This is terrible. I can't do this. I was awfulizing all over the place. And, uh, but I found a new routine. found something different. There's an old episode of the Cosby show where the kids give mom and dad a cruise. And they say, well, we can't go on that cruise. What if they don't have our brand of cereal there? What, what, what if we need to take our own? You know, I used to laugh at that until I became this age. And now I get it, you know. But you cannot do something with the scribbles in your life if you don't try a new approach. All right, last step. Build on what you have. Build on what you have. Don't waste your time wishing that you didn't have the scribble. Don't waste your time wishing that the scribble had been done differently. Don't waste your time wishing you had more resources or better resources or better opportunities or less restrictions or better health or better pay. Do not waste your time doing that. So many people especially new young marrieds come into my office and they're trying to figure out when to have kids and they say, well, at least one of them says, I'm going to wait till I can afford them. You're going to be waiting a long time. Waiting till you can afford kids is like waiting to tithe until you can afford it. You just have to do it. You just have to build on what you have. Because if you don't, it's just going to waste your time. It's going to fuel your frustration. It's going to increase your dissatisfaction. It's going to keep you from making something great out of what you have. My mother-in-law takes a lot of ribbing from me. She's in heaven now, so I can do that without getting in too much trouble. But um, I spent the biggest, you know, I told you she didn't like me for years and years and years. Well, the reason was because I spent most of those years trying to make her into somebody different. And uh, I think I was right, but I wasn't. It wasn't until I learned to accept her how she was and make something out of what we had that things really clicked. 
It, it really wasn't until I quit trying to shape her into a mold and I just let her be who she was and I'd be who I was. It worked out fine. She was living in a uh, assisted living thing down on Washington Road here years ago and uh, they wanted me to go in and daughters wanted me to go in and put blinds up in her apartment. Okay, I can do that. So I walk in with my tool kit, my drill, and the blinds, and, and she's in a mood. Man, she was in a mood. And, uh, and she was mad because she wanted to die and God wouldn't let her. And uh, she just didn't want to be here anymore. So we, she was in a terrible mood. And so I'm getting out my tools, and I'm getting ready to put these blinds up. And she goes, I don't know why you're doing this anyway. I'm not going to be here long. just seems like a waste of time. Everything in me wanted to correct her and lecture her, and so I just started packing up my tools, and she goes, what are you doing? I said, well, if you're not going to be here long, I'm not wasting my time to put these up. <laughs> and all of a sudden, we got along just fine. Because <laughs> I wasn't trying to change her, and she wasn't trying to change me. Learn to work with what you got. Even if you feel restricted, even if you feel like you don't have enough, because you'll never have enough doesn't happen. You'll never have enough. What was it, Rockefeller or one of the big Getty maybe that said, went, no, it was Howard Hughes maybe, said, how much is enough? And he said, I don't know yet. I'll let you know. There's never enough. So you got to work with what you have. Listen to what Orson Welles said. I love this quote by Orson Welles. The enemy of art is the absence of limitations. Think about that for a minute. You know, if you're an artist, you think, well, if I just have the money, if I just have the resources, the canvas, the, the showings, the artwork, I could do so much. And Orson Welles, who was very famous in film, said, it's the limitations that make you creative. That's very, very fascinating. If you, were, if you have a company and some of your employees are saying, you know, we could do so much more if we just had X, Y, and Z, challenge them to figure out how to do that without X, Y, and Z. And they'll get really creative. It's fascinating. Dr. Seuss, Theodore Geisel, was challenged by a publisher one time. It was a bet, actually. And the publisher said, I challenge you to write a book with only 50 distinct words in it. And Dr. Seuss took that challenge. And you know what came out of that challenge? It's a big limitation. Write a book with only 50 words. Who does that? Well, Dr. Seuss does that, and it became this. One of his biggest sellers ever, and the creativity came out of the limitation. He worked with what he had, rather than complaining that he didn't have enough. Restriction can be the springboard for innovation. Build on what you have, rather than wishing for what you don't have. It may not be what you want, but I will guarantee you what you got is enough. So figure out how to use it. Listen as believers what we're told. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We already have everything we need for life and godliness. It's an amazing challenge to me every time I read that. So make the best out of what you have, and it will make the best out of you. I mean, look what Jesus did. Look what he accomplished. And what did he have? The clothes on his back. That's all he had. Look at the, the feeding of the 5,000. One little boy. All he had was a few fish and a few loaves. 
Look what it did with that. You have more than enough to do what God wants you to do. We just have to get out of the mindset. And we have to quit worrying about somebody scribbling on our artwork and say, what can I do with a scribble? Now that it's there, I don't want it, but now that it's there, what can I do with it? Those are the principles. So let me give you a final word. I'll let you out just a tad early this evening. Listen to this final word from Jesus. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. Translated, life is going to scribble on your artwork. It just is. But don't forget the rest of the verse. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. In this world, life is going to scribble on your artwork. But in him, you have everything you need. In him, you have whatever you need to translate, to rise above, to make something out of that scribble. Whatever your scribble it is, everybody has a different one. You see, I came across this the other day. I just made my jaw drop when I read it. There's a difference between pain and suffering. There really is a difference between pain and suffering. Pain is what comes to us from the outside. It's the cancer. It's the car wreck. It's the spouse that leaves. It's the broken leg. It's the rejection. It's losing your job. Pain comes from the outside. Pain is circumstantial. But suffering is what we inflict on ourselves through our reaction to that pain. Listen to it again. Pain comes to us from the outside. It's the scribbles of life. But suffering happens based upon how we respond to that pain, how we respond to that scribble. As a hospice chaplain, I've watched a lot of people step out into eternity, and I've seen some of them step out sweetly, and I've seen others go out kicking and screaming. There's a difference between pain and suffering. I've seen people in my office whose spouse has left them and they can't see anything ever becoming good in their life. And I've seen others that have said, I hate this. I don't think this is what God wanted. It's certainly not what I wanted. But you know what? Life is not over. I'm going to figure out how to use this. I'm going to figure out how to move forward. There's a difference between pain and suffering. And when life scribbles on your artwork, you can either accept defeat and live a life as a victim, or you can decide that you're going to make something out of the unwanted circumstance. Can't stop pain. You get to decide on suffering. Scribbles will come. You don't have to welcome them. You don't have to like them. But you can work with them to turn them into something more than you'd imagine. Amazing, all of that came from this little game I used to play with my mother-in-law. What do you think? Give me your feedback, and I'll let you go. You're either very bored or very wowed, right? And it's probably the former, right? Does this resonate with you? Does this hit home? Or am I the only one that has scribbles in my life?
All right, we have 10 minutes. I'll just stand here. <laughs> yeah. Who of you would say you're like me and you're not handling the scribbles in your life very well? <laughs> some of you are doing this, and some of you are going, yeah, it's me. Right? Yeah. Sometimes it does. And, and sometimes, you know, granted, we're human. Big scribbles are going to get a big reaction. It doesn't mean we have to overreact, but it's going to get a big reaction. It's like I've always said, if, you, uh, if, you're, if I'm walking behind your car and you don't see me and you back up and bump into me, that's a small scribble. But if you put it in drive and then put it in reverse and you back over me about five more times, that's a big scribble, right? It's a hard one to deal with. So, yeah, the size of scribbles changes. Yes, ma'am. The shack. Yeah, she's referencing the movie Sh The Shack, and when this little girl gets killed, the mother of the girl handles it much better than the dad does, but the difference is one knows Jesus and the other one doesn't. And that's a good example. You know, one of the steps we said was change your perspective. There's a lot of controversy about that movie, and some think it's wonderful, and some think it's awful theology and should not be watched. And, and I'm not weighing in one side of the... I like the movie. I'll tell you that. I like the movie. But if you have a vision of how Jesus and God are supposed to be portrayed, yeah, the movie's going to... You're not going to like it. Well, but what I'm pointing out is, again, it's like the Pharisees. The Pharisees thought they knew ex who, who the Messiah was supposed to be, and Jesus didn't look anything like him. And it, it was hard for them. And I'm not... I'm not equating this movie as being theologically sound. It's just a movie, all right? But it'll make you think, and it will force you to change your perspective, or at least reconsider your perspective a little bit, which is, again, one of the steps to making something of the scribbles in your life. Anyone else? Yes. Yeah, 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 and, and it's really easy to beat up on yourself, and uh, I mean, I have people come in who've lost a loved one, they say, I should be over this by now because I love Jesus. Really? You lost a loved one. I'm just telling you, if I die and my family doesn't grieve for some time, I'm going to be really hacked, <laughs> you know? It's just going to really hurt my feelings if they don't. And, and, but sometimes we bring it on ourselves. I should have done this better. I should have known better. I should have. If I had done this, this wouldn't have happened. If I, over and over and over again. And it's just, a lot of times, it's just stuff. It's just things. 
I knew a guy, when I was a guitar player, I knew a guy that every time he bought a brand new guitar and made the last payment, he'd take that guitar out, pull out his pocket knife, and go, ah, it just made me sick every time I saw him do that. And I finally said, why do you do that? He said, it's going to get nicked anyway, and now it's already done. That's behind me. I don't have to worry about it anymore. I don't know if I could do that, but that makes sense to me. I just don't know if I could do it, you know. And so this new car that, that I got in replace of my old one, a few days after I owned it, what did I do? Curb the wheel. Little chunk out of the tire, rash on the alloy rims. And I was sick. I was in a funk for days. I, mean, I would find myself going out in the garage just looking at it, you know, <laughs> whipping myself. Yes, ma'am. Well, now you tell me. <laughs> well, actually, here's what I found out. I could buy a new car cheaper than I could buy a used one of, with more years and more miles. It's a weird time to buy cars. You're going to pay for it. But, yeah, it was just had my head spinning. And it just said, you know, buy one three years old with a whole lot of miles or buy a new one with seven. And I was no brainer. All right, someone else. Anything else about this that kind of strikes you? Yes. Yeah, it doesn't. I remember Andy Stanley saying one time that... Uh, the stuff in your life that feels really monumental right now, a few years down the road is just a story you're going to tell. These stories I've told you, they felt awful in the time. And now they're just a story. That's kind of how it works. You have given me one of the greatest gifts ever, my friend. And you gave me this gift of signs of life. You remember that? When we were talking about signs of life? Yeah, I live in a house now that has lots of people in it. Used to be just my wife and I. Now there's lots of people in my house, and it looks like somebody turned my house upside down. I went, right? And there are times when I'm kicking stuff out of the way, and I can't get in my chair, and I'm just frustrated until I think about our conversation, and I remember all of this is just signs of life, and it's a change of perspective. It's what I needed. Someone else? Yeah, when a million year, a thousand years from now, what does it make any difference? Yeah, I always say that the that being married is like baseball. It's about learning which pitches to swing at and which ones to let go by, which is really hard to do actually, because some of those pitches look like they need to be swung at. Uh, but but not everything's as big as we think, and not every scribble is as bad as we think. And not every scribble is as detrimental as we think. I'm reading a book right now, uh, and I can't even remember the title of it, but it, it's something like In Times of Darkness or something. But it's talking about people like Martin Luther, um, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King Jr., Charles Spurgeon, all of these people who were great giants of the faith. 
and yet struggled with depression so badly that at times they didn't want to live. And so many people come in my office saying, I have this depression and it's just, it's ruining my life and I can't, my life is never going to be what I want it to be. And I think about those people. The Spurgeons and the Mother Teresas and all these people that at times just didn't feel like going on anymore. That's a big life scribble. And yet they did something with it. It didn't make it go away. And that's the thing about scribbles in your life. The scribbles won't go away. That's the deal. You have to learn to work with it. Make something out of it. And so there's things in your life and my life that just will not go away. They're going to be there. Get used to it. Live with it. But learn to live in spite of it and above it and because of it. That is the key. Jesus had three-year ministry and all he had to show for it at the end was 12 disciples and they were not the brightest bulbs in the bunch right who knows what you can do with 12 who knows what will happen if you do something with that one little scribble in your life all right so boxed enough now i can't even get you out early let me pray and i'll send you on your way father thank you for this reminder i needed it maybe no one else in the room needed it but i needed this father thank you that uh Something I used to frustrate a future mother-in-law became a lesson that you're trying, still trying to teach me. Uh, God, you, Jesus said, in this world, we will have trouble. Of all short sorts, of all shapes, of all kinds. Big scribbles, little scribbles, monumental scribbles, small scribbles. It doesn't make any difference. They're going to be there. You tell us that we can rise above everything. Not make it go away, but use it as a stepping stone to something bigger. That's how the world should find their hope in Christ, is seeing us do that through Christ. And too often I whine and complain and mope, rather than realizing that you've given me everything I need for life and godliness, despite the scribbles. So teach us, Father, especially as we go into this holiday season, Teach us how to not just live in spite of the scribbles, but make something wonderful from them, whatever they may be.